What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. And welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast, a podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you so much for listening. I have two parts for you today. In part one, I'll break down Luciano Spalletti's presentation in detail including some non-verbal cues that might just tell us what to expect from Spalletti as a manager, how Spalletti is eager to win everyone's affection, and his views on tactics, the squad, and transfers. And in part two, I'll continue to recap how our players have performed on international duty, including Giovanni Di Lorenzo and Lorenzo Insigne at Euro 2020, and David Ospina at the Copa America. So let's start with the official presentation of Luciano Spalletti as the new Napoli manager on Thursday, Spalletti spoke to the media for about an hour and 15 minutes. This was an entertaining but not terribly informative presentation. But before I even get to the content of the conference, I want to touch on some cues, some signals that might suggest what we can expect from Spalletti in terms of his coaching style and his personality. You're probably going to think that I'm overanalyzing here and maybe you're right, but guess what, I'm going to do it anyway. First of all, just like when he arrived at Napoli, Spalletti was looking sharp in his fitted suit, which I'm assuming is Italian, and his freshly polished shoes. Cristiano Giuntoli was in attendance as well, and you could definitely contrast his appearance with Spalletti's. Giuntoli's shirt was untucked, his hair unkempt, and he was wearing sunglasses. By the way, some outlets are reporting that Giuntoli's presence alone at the presentation is confirmation that he will remain on the staff. You might recall earlier this year that there were rumors that Giuntoli could be let go as well. Spalletti actually mentioned in the presentation that he knows the staff well and that he and Giuntoli are from the same area. They both happen to be from Firenze, so it seems like Giuntoli will stay. I think a person's appearance is a good indication of their personality. Gattuso used to wear a blazer over a sweater with dress pants and running shoes, and of course he had that beard. I think that look perfectly matches Gattuso's personality. The sweater is a bit more of a casual look, and though Gattuso isn't very casual, he's definitely more approachable to players. The beard fits his toughness and the fact that he's a little bit rough around the edges. And the running shoes, I think, were more for practical reasons because we know how active Gattuso was on the touchlines. Spalletti is definitely more clean cut, which I think is an indication of his precision. And he's well put together, which I think suggests that the structure of the team will be very important to him. He brought notes with him, and we'll get to the content of the conference shortly, but the references to the slogan Sara Conte, San Gennaro, and Scunizzi are clear indications to me that he was well prepared for this conference. Again, I think that will translate on the field. I think most managers prepare ahead of matches. I don't think they would reach this level if they didn't. 
but it's also an indication that the team will be organized. I think that could be an important difference between Spalletti's Napoli and Gattuso's. With Gattuso, particularly in the first half of the season, I think we lacked that organization a little bit, especially in the midfield. There were times where we seemed to have no midfield at all, where players were just too far apart. I suspect we'll see less of that under Spalletti. And that's something our friend Gaetano Solazzo mentioned when he was last on the podcast. When we talked about what we were looking forward to with Spalletti, Gaetano said he's looking forward to the triangles in the midfield. Another difference between Gattuso and Spalletti is how they respond to questions. What I loved about Gattuso was his honesty. He simply said what he was thinking in ordinary language. That is definitely not how Spalletti speaks. Spalletti is more like De Laurentiis in the language that he uses. They speak in metaphors and they use analogies quite a bit. Another cue from the conference was in how Spalletti responded to the questions. He took his time, thought about what he wanted to say, and gave very slow, deliberate answers. That's why the conference took an hour and 15 minutes. On the field, you can expect that to show up in a deliberate style of play with every action, every movement, every touch being done for a reason. Or maybe that's all bullshit. I don't really know if I'm being honest. Let's move on to the actual content of the conference. I won't provide all of the quotes verbatim. If you want to watch the conference, you can find it on YouTube. If you don't speak Italian, Calcio Napoli 24 provided a near exact text version of the conference which you can then translate to English. Instead, I'll focus on some of the major themes of the conference. The first was that Spalletti seemed like he was trying to win everyone over from the media to De Laurentiis and most of all to the fans. So let's start with the media. Right from the beginning of the conference, Spalletti was joking around with the media. He said he wants to get to know them and who the bad ones are. Later in the interview, he joked with Gazzetta dello Sport reporter Mimo Malfitano how when his name was said, everyone nodded. When the media were asking questions, if they didn't introduce themselves, he asked for their names. I'm sure Spalletti knows what the Napolitano media can be like, and perhaps this was his way of trying to get on their better side. To be honest, I don't think that will work. As soon as something does not go our way, they will be all over him, and I think he knows that too. Having coached at Inter and Roma, Spalletti should have no problem handling the media in Napoli. If you can handle the media in Rome, you can handle it anywhere. Spalletti does have a history of lashing out at the media. At Roma in 2017, after a 3-1 victory over Sassuolo, Spalletti was questioned about his future at the club. Spalletti didn't like that and he told reporters that going forward he would only answer questions about football and nothing else and he said if it makes it easier, he will not go to the conferences at all. Our media knows exactly what that's like, we just came out of a 4-month press blackout. That said, with Spalletti's calm demeanor, I do still think he could handle the media better than Gattuso did. In Gattuso's defense, he's nowhere near as experienced as Spalletti, but it seemed at times like he did let the media get to him. Even though Spalletti might get angry with the media, I don't get the impression that he would let that impact how he does his job. Of course, Spalletti had to be mindful of the fact that his president was sitting only a few feet away from him. It wasn't terribly shocking when Spalletti concurred with De Laurentiis that the objectives for this season are to balance the books and to qualify for the Champions League. He definitely wasn't going to disagree with the person that just hired him, and surely this was something they discussed prior to Spalletti accepting the position. I'm sure De Laurentiis told Spalletti that we don't have the budget to make any big investments in new players. Spalletti seemed to be aligned with this approach when he said he would keep all the players available to him, which he said was a compliment to everyone who put the team together. Carlo Albino asked if the objective was to win the Europa League. Spalletti said that he cares a lot about it, just like he cares about the championship, just like he cares about friendlies. 
He said, if you train well for seven days, in the end, you play better. We'll start from there. He wants to make a good impression every time Napoli takes the pitch because they represent Napoli. Spalletti said he's used to the countryside and when you go to the woods, the most ferocious animal eats even the smaller ones, takes all his strength and never shares it. There isn't one shirt for friendlies and another for other matches. There is only one Napoli shirt and when you wear it, you wear it seriously. I loved this response from Spalletti. I could do without the analogy, but I think the message was an important one. What Spalletti is really talking about there is having a winning mentality. That's always been an issue for us. We lack that killer instinct. So I was pleased to hear Spalletti talk about wanting to win regardless of the competition. As a personal objective, Spalletti talked about longevity with the club, which I guess is every coach's objective. He also talked about his legacy, which he mentioned on more than one occasion. He said Napoli is full of men who have left their mark and no one remembers their heroes like Napoli does. My team and I would like to become people remembered by the fans and the city. Spalletti seemed very keen to win the affection of the fans. I think he intentionally used a number of buzzwords, which was a continuation of his brief interview when he landed in Napoli. That day he said he's lived in different cities. Spalletti elaborated on that idea, describing Rome as the city of the Pope and the Eternal City, St. Petersburg as the city of SARS, Milan as the city of fashion, industry, and La Madonnina, and Napoli as the city of Diego Armando Maradona and San Gennaro. Once again, he referenced the slogan Saro Conte, which he also said when he arrived at Napoli. That was in response to a question about how he'll bring a little bit of emotion back to Napoli. Personally, I don't think the emotion ever left, but his answer was that the only way is with results, and whatever you give to the fans, they will return with interest. I mentioned how he likes to use metaphors, but Letty said the city extends a strong hand to the club, and we have to hold it tight to demonstrate that we deserve to wear that shirt. That is a sentiment that will definitely resonate with the fans. He said almost everyone in Napoli is a fan of the club, so the team belongs to the city, and the club needs to return the love and affection of the fans with the way they show up on the pitch. Carlo Alvino asked him to use an adjective to describe his Napoli. Spalletti said we must play a style of football that resembles the city and that sportsmen will be proud of. He said, Vedere una squadra sfacciata mi piacerebbe discunizi che credono nel proprio talento. Again, the use of the term scunizi was not an accident there. Going back to Spalletti's preparation, that's another term that would resonate with Napolitani people. Scunizi is a hard word to translate, but I guess it means street kids. They're pesky, lively, restless, cheerful, and self-confident, which is the key. He wants players who believe in their talent and put that into practice on the field no matter who their opponent is. Speaking of the players, that was another major theme of the conference. Naturally, the media were curious to ask about specific players and how they would fit in Spalletti's plans. Spalletti admitted that since he was told he would be the new manager, he hasn't taken his eyes off the team. He thinks it's a strong team and he's eager to get started and curious to see how well he understands the strength of the team. He noted that seven players at the Euros will get a short vacation and then will join their teammates for the second part at Castel di Sangro, but when he was asked about Zielinski, Elmas, and Lobotka, Spalletti said they would arrive on the Friday. I'm guessing he meant players on international duty, not players necessarily at the Euros, because we know Ospina is with Colombia for the Copa America and that Lozano is with Mexico for the Gold Cup. So they will get a vacation along with the players who advanced past the group stage of the Euros, being Meret, Di Lorenzo, Fabian, Insigne, and Mertens. 
As I mentioned last episode, Mertens will be out for a little while after having shoulder surgery. Spalletti said he saw Mertens before and after the surgery and that Mertens would like to come say hi to his teammates, but asked for a few extra days of vacation for post-operative visits. The big question, of course, was will Insigne be a part of Spalletti's team? And Spalletti gave a pretty strong indication that he will. He said he spoke to Insigne to congratulate him on his goal at the Euros and that he would like to have Insigne along his side on this path. However, he said there are other situations, surely referring to the contract renewal, and said they will analyze those when Insigne returns. In terms of other players who are rumored to leave, namely Koulibaly and Fabian, Spalletti said he would gladly keep the current players, but like with Insigne, there are other evaluations to be made. That's a reference to potential sales of those players. The evaluation is quite simply whether the club received large enough offers to warrant selling them. Spalletti pointed to Juntoli, noting that he is responsible for the Mercato and that they will speak after that. Spalletti reiterated that he doesn't ask for anything. Again, with his metaphors, he said he eats a steak a day. He doesn't need a whole cow. However, when he was asked whether he contacted Emerson, Spalletti said he can't answer the question, but it's possible, leaving most to believe that he had, in fact, contacted the Chelsea left back. Beyond possible transfers, Spalletti was also asked about how he intended to use a number of different players. One of the big debates this past season was who should start in goal between Alex Meret and David Ospina. The rumors are that Meret will be the number one, but Spalletti didn't give anything away when he was asked about this. All he said was that we have a lot of games to manage, so having two keepers at that level is an advantage. He often gave vague philosophical answers, like when he was asked how Politano and Manolas would contribute. I'm not even sure what the point of that question was. I guess the reporters assuming that Lozano and Rachmani will be the starters. His answer to that question was they don't have to do it for him, but for themselves and for their teammates. He expects them to always give their best and to be available to help their teammates. He added a message to the guys on contracts. He said the contracts mean they belong to Napoli for a number of years. In this environment, the history and the results can make them a part of Napoli history forever. Again, a reference to their legacy. Spalletti was also asked if he would use Insigne or Lozano as a false nine. I wonder if that question spawned from Insigne being used as a false nine for 25 minutes against Spain. Again, Spalletti didn't really answer the question, though I suppose you can't blame him. He hasn't had a chance to train with these players, so you can't expect Spalletti to provide any deep insights on something like using Insigne as a false nine. He acknowledged Insigne's positional flexibility as well as that of Zielinski and Lozano. He said that could be useful for playing in tight spaces, which they need to expect because opponents will plan to give us little space. That is definitely something to expect because our striker excels in playing into space, which Spalletti acknowledged as well. He added that Osimhen knows how to score and he gives everything for the team. He said he's a strong striker like Mertens and Petania, and it will take everyone to get to the end. Finally, he spoke highly of Di Lorenzo and Lozano. Like Insigne, he congratulated Di Lorenzo for having a spectacular Euros, and he said he's someone who showed his trademark several times. On Lozano, Spalletti recalled the Mexican knocking him out of the Champions League while he was with Inter. He said it was one of his accelerations that created problems after having a good game. The final major theme of the conference was Spalletti's tactics, coaching style, and approach. Spalletti confirmed what most of us expected, which is that he would play a 4-2-3-1, depending on the opponent, which is what this team was built to play, and the formation Spalletti employed with his previous clubs. 
He noted though that the 4231 is just the base, which is something we often overlook, and I'm guilty of that too. That's simply how we line up on paper. What's more important than how the players line up is how they move with and without the ball, how they support each other, how quickly they pass the ball, and so on. Spalletti's approach seems to be very much about space. Gattuso often spoke about space as well, but he was referring mostly to Osimhen's ability to create space with his pace and ability to draw defenders. Spalletti talks more about controlling space. He said we should always play within 30 meters, which is another way of saying that we will play compact. There should be no more than 30 meters between our defenders and our attackers. If there is open space, someone must fill it to provide support. By playing this way, players have less ground to cover, more breath meaning they're less tired, and therefore more able to find the right spaces in the attack. Like all the big clubs, Liverpool, Manchester City, Barcelona, Real Madrid, players need to be able to do everything. They need to be able to rotate between different positions. As Spalletti puts it, this is the rumba of positions. But most importantly, they must do it all as a team and not in a disjointed or tattered way. I think that was very much an issue last season as well, though I don't think that was a jab at Gattuso. In fact, Spalletti spoke quite highly of Gattuso. He said Gattuso did a splendid job and he gave him credit because he knows Gattuso well and he knows what his football beliefs are. He said Gattuso is passionate, he puts his feelings into it, and every time he's faced him, he saw a coach who knows how to do his job. One thing Gattuso and Spalletti have in common is a recognition that you must defend in a different formation than how you attack. That's common practice nowadays. As we saw last season in the 4-2-3-1, the wingers drop and it becomes a 4-5-1 in defense, or if the wingers drop in the 10 steps forward, it becomes a 4-4-2. Spalletti also suggested that he might use his fullbacks in the same way that Mancini does for the national team where Di Lorenzo covers the middle third and the left back gets forward. The modern fullback is much more involved in the attack and that's a common approach. You can't have both fullbacks pushing forward together or you could get caught with only two at the back. Typically one of the fullbacks will push forward and the other will drop so that if the opponent counters, you still have three at the back. Finally, Jose Mourinho was presented at Roma at Trigoria on the same day, and Spalletti was asked if he is like Mourinho. Spalletti said you can't compare to Mourinho, he said it himself, and he's right. Jose is a great motivator, but Spalletti said he doesn't like this idea of having to motivate players. If you want to play with us, you get up and you motivate yourself. You are not at a professional level if you have a weak mind. A strong footballer has a strong head a strong mind. Spalletti said he doesn't motivate anyone, the players should be motivated because they play for Napoli. That goes back to that winning mentality, but I must admit, of everything Spalletti said in his presentation, this concerned me the most. We know this team can be mentally fragile, and the last time our manager relied on the players to be professionals, we had a mutiny that has now set us back two seasons. So hopefully the same doesn't happen under Spalletti, we'll just have to wait and see. We'll get our first glimpse of Spalletti's coaching at Di Maro, which we now have more details on. The retreat, which officially marks the start of the 2021-22 campaign, will start on Thursday, July 15th at 5.30pm local time or 11.30am eastern time at the Campo di Carciato. De Laurentiis will arrive in Trentino a few hours earlier at the Sport Hotel Rosati, which has been the Napoli headquarters in Val di Sole for the last 10 years. 10 years of retreats at the same facility is actually a record among Serie A clubs. The team will be at Di Mauro for 11 days. The official program includes twice daily training sessions, a morning session at 9.30am local time, and an afternoon session at 2.30pm local time. 
During the retreat, there will be two friendly matches, first on Sunday the 18th at 5.30pm against Bassa Anaunia. They play in the Promozione, which is the 6th division of Italian football. The second friendly is on Saturday the 24th, also kicking off at 5.30pm local time against Pro Vercelli, who plays in Serie C. There will also be two additional evening events. The first will be a conference with Spalletti on Wednesday, July 21st. He will be accompanied by two players. The second will be a DJ set and meeting with the team on Friday, July 23rd. Admission to the training sessions is free but subject to anti-COVID regulations. With two new mobile stands, 700 fans will be able to attend each training session, which is roughly how many people registered in recent years. So that will do for part one. In part two, we'll check in on our players on international duty. Two will review how our boys did on international duty, starting with Italy's big semi-final match against Spain. Just like against Belgium in the quarterfinals, we had the potential to have four Napoli players feature in this match, but this time only two played. For Italy, Lorenzo Insigne started on the left wing, Giovanni Di Lorenzo started at right back, and Alex Meret started on the bench. For Spain, Fabian Ruiz was not in the squad for the second consecutive match. I still haven't seen an explanation for why, so I'm hoping Luis Enrique has left him out for tactical reasons and that he does not have an injury that they're not telling us about. So let's start with Giovanni Di Lorenzo, who was excellent once again, especially in the second half. He looks confident at the back. That's normally a term that we associate with attacking players, but it applies just as well with defenders. We often use the term assured to describe confident defenders. When a defender lacks confidence, he tends to second-guess himself, perhaps he hesitates, and that's when bad things happen like poor passes or fouls committed in the area. 
that's not what we're seeing with Di Lorenzo. He's well positioned. He's making clean tackles and winning the ball. He's getting forward and he's blocking shots. We saw examples of that in this match. Early in the second half, Dani Olmo played a dangerous ball across the face of the goal and Di Lorenzo was well positioned to clear the ball out for a corner kick. That was an important clearance with Ferran Torres making the run to the back post. Di Lorenzo also blocked a couple of shots in the half, first on Torres and then on Alvaro Morata. Then Mancini replaced Emerson Palmieri with Rafael Toloi, and because Toloi is accustomed to playing on the right, Di Lorenzo moved over to the left and he fared just as well on the left as he did on the right, showcasing his flexibility. He made a play in the second half where Morata got behind our back line, and it seemed like Spain would have a clear chance, but Di Lorenzo raced back and closed Morata down. Considering how much of the ball Spain had, I thought our entire back line was solid. Most of the time Spain had the ball, it was in front of our back line. They rarely got behind us. The Morata goal was really the only time that Spain breached our back line. So even though they had most of the ball, I don't think it was as dominant of a performance as everyone made it out to be. Let's move on to Lorenzo Insigne. He was very good in this match as well. Not as good as he was against Belgium, but still very good. I'm sure all Napoli fans were excited to see Insigne play with Emerson on the left side. Emerson started for the injured Leonardo Spinazzola and of course were heavily linked to Emerson. I was pleasantly surprised both with Emerson's play and with the partnership he and Insigne had together. I already knew that they could play well together because we've seen that in the Nations League, but this was a Euro 2020 semi-final which is obviously a much bigger stage than the Nations League. You also have to consider that Emerson has hardly played this season, both for Italy in the Euros and for Chelsea in the Premier League. There was plenty from his performance for Napoli fans to get excited about. We saw a number of 1-2s between Insigne and Emerson. One of them led to Italy's first real chance of the match. Insigne played a gorgeous return ball with the outside of his right boot and Emerson beat Unai Simon to the ball. Unfortunately, neither Ciro Immobile nor Nicolo Barella got a shot off with Simon out of his goal. Emerson is no Spinazzola, but he still got forward quite a bit, which enabled Insigne to continue to drift into the center of the pitch, as he's done all tournament. The two of them also combined on our best chance of the first half, just before the break. Insigne took down the switch beautifully with the outside of his right boot, as we're accustomed to seeing. He ran right at Espiliqueta, which once again to me is a sign that he is playing with confidence. A lot of people talk about how Insigne is a little too predictable, he's always cutting in and looking for that curler to the back post or the tiragir, but Napoli fans know that every once in a while Insigne will fake that shot, drop his shoulder and cut back to set up the shot on his left foot. In this match he cut the ball back to Emerson on the overlap and unfortunately his shot hit the bar. Most of our attacking threat in the first half seemed to come through those two players. In fact I think most of our chances for the entire match, or at least while Insigne was on the field, involved Insigne at some point. Early in the second half, he won a corner kick after Simon shanked his clearance, though that was actually a rare occasion where Insigne's touch let him down. Had he taken the ball down better, we could have had a chance in front of the goal there. About 5 minutes later, right after Sergio Busquets missed a chance at the other end, Italy broke on the counter with Insigne. Credit to Ciro Immobile, he made a great touch to guide the ball to Insigne on that play. That play eventually led to a Federico Chiesa shot on target. Those three players linked up on the Keza goal as well. That play started with a great run into space by Immobile and a gorgeous ball by Insigne, again with the outside of his right boot to pick out that run. Immobile didn't win the ball but it fell for Keza and he did the rest, but that play does not happen without Insigne or Immobile. 
Immediately after that goal, Mancini replaced Immobile with Berardi and moved Insigne to center forward to play as a false nine. I was actually very surprised to see that. Something tells me that Mancini was going to replace Chiesa with Berardi, but when he scored, Mancini changed it up. When I saw that, I assumed it wouldn't be long before Insigne was replaced by Andrea Bellotti. That didn't happen until the 85th minute, so Insigne played roughly 25 minutes as a false nine. It was quite clear that Mancini's plan at that point was to defend the lead. Insigne was playing very deep for a center forward. Perhaps Mancini figured that Insigne is a better defender than Immobile, but you sensed that we needed a second goal and we know that Immobile excels playing on the counterattack, running onto the ball in space as he does regularly for Lazio and especially under Simone Inzaghi. This was basically the same strategy that Mancini employed against Belgium and we talked about how fortunate we were that Belgium didn't equalize in that match because we had set up so defensively that we would not score another goal. It worked out in that game but not so well in this one. Spain did equalize and until the second half of stoppage time it looked to me like we were actually playing for penalty kicks because Mancini had removed all of his creative players. I do think it was the right decision to replace Insigne with Bellotti, especially after we conceded the equalizer. Insigne was out of position and he was just starting to look a little bit frustrated. But like I said, this was another very strong performance from Insigne. He's really stepped up his play in the last two matches. At this point, it goes without saying that both Di Lorenzo and Insigne will play in the final against England. The other player we had on international duty was David Ospina. He started again in goal for Colombia's Copa America match against Argentina. That was Ospina's 113th appearance for his country, extending his record as the most capped player in Colombian football history. In a way, this performance from Ospina was very similar to his performance against Uruguay. He wasn't tested too often, he only had two saves to make, and then the match went to penalty kicks. Like against Uruguay, one of those saves was very important. The save in this match came just before the break from a corner kick. Nico Gonzalez got a free header and he did well. He hit the ball hard and low, but somehow Ospina was able to push the ball over the bar from his knees. Of course, Ospina stayed down for a little while after making that save before eventually resuming. The phantom Ospina injury has basically become a requirement of every match that he plays in. The second save was fairly routine, it came with about 20 minutes to play. Substitute Angel Di Maria made a great run to set up the shot but the finish was disappointing, it was straight at Ospina who made the save quite comfortably. Di Maria was absolutely phenomenal off the bench, he completely changed the look of that Argentina attack. Now there were a couple of differences between this performance and the one from Ospina against Uruguay. First, Ospina conceded a goal in this match, he did not record a clean sheet. The first 7 minutes of the match were tough for Ospina and not due to any fault of his own. Argentina came very close to scoring only 4 minutes into the match. Gonzalez won a header in front of the goal and there was nothing Ospina could do but watch as the ball just missed the far post. Then of course Argentina opened the scoring a few minutes later, there was nothing Ospina could do on that shot either. That was a beautiful goal, it actually started with Rodrigo De Paul saving the ball at the Argentina corner flag instead of letting it run out for a throw in. A few passes later Giovanni Lo Celso played a gorgeous through ball to Messi in the area. Ospina had to shift over to his left to defend the Messi shot, which was the right thing to do. Unfortunately, that left him a little bit out of position when Messi turned and cut the ball back to Lautaro Martinez around the penalty spot and Martinez put the shot away. 
The other difference was Ospina and Colombia were rather lucky a couple of times in the second half. In the 73rd minute, Daniel Munoz played a wayward pass backwards towards his own goal from midfield. Ospina came way off his line but was beat to the ball by Di Maria. Di Maria dribbled around Ospina, who even tried to foul Di Maria but couldn't reach him. Di Maria then passed to Lautaro in the area and he only had midfielder Wilmer Barrios to beat but shot straight at him and Barrios cleared the ball off the line. That earned him a big hug from his keeper. Then in the 81st minute, Di Maria made a great play to shake off a few Colombian players before playing a perfectly weighted through ball to Messi. He turned and fired a rocket off the inside of the upright, but somehow the ball stayed out. Finally, with about 5 minutes to play, Messi played a chip over the top to Nicolas Taliafico, who made a run to the back post. Ospina and Jeremina got a little bit mixed up on the play, which allowed Taliafico to get an acrobatic volley off. Fortunately for Ospina and Mina, he missed the target. Like I said, this match went to a shootout as well. For Colombia, it was the second consecutive shootout, but the outcome was not the same. Messi scored a perfect shot to the top corner on Argentina's first. Rodrigo de Paul blasted the ball over the bar on Argentina's second. Leandro Paredes and Lautaro Martinez converted the third and fourth shots, and with Colombia missing three out of four, that was enough to see Argentina through to the final. Unlike the shootout against Uruguay, the talk in this shootout was not about the play of David Ospina, but about the other goalkeeper Emiliano Martinez and the trash talking he was doing throughout the shootout, especially on the save that he made on Jerry Mina. Let me just remind everyone though that after Mina scored his penalty against Uruguay, Mina did a ridiculous celebration dance in the face of Fernando Muslera, so I think he got a taste of his own medicine and maybe a little bit of karma on that shot. So that ends Ospina's run in the Copa America. To lose to Argentina in the semifinals in the fashion that Colombia did, I think is still something to be proud of. As I mentioned in part 1, Ospina will get some time off and then we assume he'll return to Napoli to join the club at Castel di Sangro for the summer retreat unless the club makes a move before then. The expectation at the moment is that Meret will be the number one keeper and most reports are that Ospina could be sold. At one point he was linked to Atalanta to replace Pierluigi Golini but they've now signed Juan Musso. Also, judging by Spalletti's comments in his presentation, it seems to be Napoli are in no rush to sell. Ospina's under contract until 2025, so we can hold on to him if we don't get a suitable offer. So that will do for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with a friend and give us a 5-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forza Napoli Pod. I have time to squeeze one more episode in to wrap up Season 2 so I can give you my thoughts on how Di Lorenzo and Insigne played in the Euro 2020 final, and hopefully I'll get to watch Lozano represent Mexico in the group stage of the Gold Cup, which commences on Saturday. So I'll be back early next week with that, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre! Fa me lo po' Fa me lo po' Adol
Network.